Explore the depths of your curiosity with aerospace engineer John Connolly, Columbia Space Center's Benjamin Dickow, and CEO of Heavy Metal Magazine, Matthew Medney, as they bring scientists, engineers, and authors on a journey of discovery. This is putting the science in science fiction, where fiction and science collide. So welcome to Putting the Science Science Fiction. You have Ben Dickow, Matt Medney, and John Connolly here. Uh, ben, last week, uh, which would have been recorded about 40 minutes ago, uh, <laughs> we talked about how <laughs> we talked about how John got a relatively large promotion uh, for yeah. his successful work on uh, the helicopter apparatus nice. at, uh, that is now working for. Um, the the Mars lander That's and he cool. wants to say it's not just because of that blah 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 but you can you can stuff it John um, but his new title that we're running with that is his unofficial official title sanctioned by his overlords at Lockheed mm -hmm. is celestial ground support lead deep space division ooh very nice very nice that's cool that's great congratulations thank you. <laughs> Sure. Nice, yeah. That's better than like rocket propulsion engineer two now or something like that. So that's good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is. I mean, it's, uh, it was a job that I was shadowing and sort of apprenticing under someone for, uh, several years. And I had hoped to step into that role and they moved the timeline up significantly. Hmm. And I said, sure. Just of toss, I, toss, I will poke, I will poke a swan dive into that deep end. Yeah, and, and John is uh, John is oblivious to nuance, right? They pushed up that time uh, table a week after the thing that he built for right, Mars right, right. worked really well. He just he doesn't <laughs> put those things together the way they, they did an I organization think. reshuffle. Sure, sure. I, th I think there was coincidence, but uh, okay, all right, sure, exactly. Right. Speaking <laughs> of which, by the way, speaking of that helicopter, it's. They, it still hasn't flown yet, though, right? Because it was, I know it was delayed from Sunday, Correct. and then it was supposed to be two days ago and everything. Okay, cool. Just wanted to make sure yes. I didn't miss anything. But, but all the mechanisms that I worked on executed correctly. Yeah, I mean, listen. <laughs> that had to do with the deployment. One so. of my friends and board members of the Space Center is Deanna Trujillo, the flight director for Perseverance. And she, you know, we were oh, talking, wow. you know, last week about this, and she's been sending videos of the testing and stuff like that. It's pretty cool. It's the coolest. Um, so, so John, set the tone with what you were reading today, and tell tell Ben what you were about to say pre-recording. Oh, so there's an, a recent report that Umauma, which is the interstellar object that visited our solar system in 2017, uh, they've been trying to explain the acceleration that they were seeing as it was leaving the solar system, because they were not seeing the type of outgassing that would have been indicative mm -hmm. of a comet and therefore a por the sun side portion which is receiving radiation from the sun mm -hmm. which is evaporating creating thrust so now there's a theory that uma uma was a nitrogen iceberg that was a portion of an exoplanet that eventually got sent sunward whether it was part of our exoplanet group or another, no idea, no ability to differentiate. And they were trying to say that the nitrogen would have been more difficult to trace 
in terms of outgassing. But it would also say that, that given the acceleration, they would require a tenth of its mass to be lost in, you know, mm-hmm. in order to satisfy the rocket equation and conservation of momentum. Hmm. And they, were, they would have been able to see that. That would have been a tremendous amount of material. And so it really is still kind of, I don't know. I think I, it's one of the weaker stabs I've seen trying to not, or yeah, a lot of times I feel like we see these things, they're kind of, you know, we have these extraordinary possibilities that seem to be defying mm-hmm. physics as we understand it. And then we have somebody come in and say like, well, no, it was this and this, and it gets disproven. And this time it, it just didn't really stick. And so I don't know that, that makes me still feel pretty strongly mm. that we should go check it out. And I say that because I have read there is a study called the Lyra Project, which was conducted after Uma Uma had arrived in the solar system to determine yeah. if we could send something to go visit it. And it's determined that we can, that there's if we used, we developed a nuclear thermal rocket which we have the technological capability of, but we've never tried, then we could have a ship with a high enough specific impulse that if we left by 2030 and used a Jupiter hmm. assist, that we could get there by 2044. And I just think that it would be worth it to see. You know, if we're wrong, fine, but what would we, be a good we reason spend money to, worse to, ways. To develop the thermal propulsion system, so that that's cool. Um yeah. Uh, is there so exactly? Wait, what's the latest on where this thing came from? So they don't. I mean, not necessarily what it's made of or anything like that, because that's the question on the table. But, um, like, how far out they think this came from? No, mm-hmm. no idea. Okay. They can't speculate because along any given trajectory, there's enough yeah. stars that it could be from any of them, or just any from them. But it could be. Any number of well, ones. honestly, yeah. too, like it's it's both not surprising and surprising. What I'm going to say next is that you know there's a lot of stuff out there, right? There's an unimaginable amount of mass and things, so it makes sense that something's going to fall, you know, kind of come through our neighborhood sometimes. But at the same time, there's also a lot of nothingness out there, so it is surprising that something comes yeah. through any at all. Um, so yeah, I mean, just on that alone, I think. That would make sense to me to send a little probe out there and see yeah. what it's all about. Um, I mean, I remember when seeing pictures of it. What I was gonna say, sending pictures of it always makes me think of uh, Star Trek Four: The Voyage Home. Absolutely, that, probe, that weird sort of you know probe thing. And then we send somebody out there, and it starts talking to our whales or something like that. So <laughs> um, might as well try it. No, I mean, because I would, I would hate. So I just hate we were wrong. You know, wait, 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 wrong if, it, if it was interstellar. Why did... Well, also, wait, wait, you know, quick, if it, sorry, sorry, Matt. Well, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, you no. You can't no. let that reference go. go. I was gonna, I was gonna ask why you said the whales. Well, because that's the that was the the probe and what that's the voyage home, right? That's number four, um, where that's the thing that this this weird sort of dark kind of cylindrical but also not very finished object just comes into earth's orbit and the probe thing and it starts trying to talk to the whales and there's no whales in the 23rd century and so it creates this like stormy disaster on the planet and then 
So Kirk in the, in the ship in time to 1986 and get the whales and bring them back so they can talk to this probe and the probe goes away at the end. Um, and the, the renderings of this, uh, Uma Uma object, um, look very similar to that thing. <laughs> um, they, they do. And, and, and they do, and they're also, but now they're describing that they think it looks more like a disc. Oh, really? Than, than, than a cigar. Yeah. It definitely still is much, much wide. You know, it's very narrow in one okay. dimension, very wide in another hmm. one. Um, but that doesn't really, I, I think, change the nature of the sure, mystery sure. of it. Yeah. I, I think it's still, yeah. Um, but but to your point, when you're looking back a little bit, yes, the there's tons of there's tons of objects out there. I mean, there's even there's the Kuiper Belt, mm-hmm. there's the Oort Cloud, which goes, you know, mm-hmm. uh, more than a light year out. And you know, when we talk about all these dark exoplanets mm-hmm. like Sedna, and you know, they're, they're trying to calculate based on our understanding of gravity, you know, where you know there could be other ones out right. there, but it's so dark and it's such a big space. You never see them. Who knows? But yeah, I mean, I could, I, I could totally. I, I agree that with the science, like I could see on one hand, I totally believe that there is these exoplanet remnant pieces that could be coming into our atmosphere. But I don't know. I also was currently listening to. Um, oh, Nate, I I don't want to butcher his name, so I'm not going to say it. But he, one of the recent astrophysicists, he works at Harvard. Who was talk? Who was the one who's avidly supporting that Uma Uma was an interstellar object from an intelligent civilization? Um, and I just think that, yeah, there's enough. There's enough questions that we've thrown at it that it's stuck. That there's enough mystery to it, despite how much people have tried to disprove it. That at some point, just stop. Just being like, okay, we're gonna try. We don't. We don't need irrefutable scientific evidence to prove whether or not we want to go explore it. If we did that every day, we wouldn't explore anything. True. True. That's a great point. And I think, you know, it kind of goes, what we both love so much about For All Mankind is that it's not, it's about the whim of the possibility of what could be, not about waiting until you know. No, absolutely. I mean, the fact that, here's a perfect example. One of NASA's upcoming plans is, lunar trailblazer which is a series of lunar orbiters that would be searching for water ice and here on the other hand is for all mankind and you have ed baldwin and you have molly cobb on apollo 15 it's 1970 it's either 1970 or 1971 landing at shackleton crater and rappelling down the crater side using the wheel hub of the rover as a wench to go find if there's ice down there. I mean, in some ways, I, I'm just like, wow. Because, because, yeah, because of the, um, because it's of its size and because we're not really sure where it comes from, but it probably comes from, you know, someplace way beyond. Um, I think that should be enough to, to give us um, uh, a reason to, um to go explore it or you know go check it out um because you know how often are we going to get this opportunity 
um, for something kind of large like that. I think. Um, oh, you mean like having having an interstellar sample of anything? Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, absolutely, because we have all of our assumptions of planetary models and moons is still based on our solar system, even though we've talked yeah. about you know the compositions of stars can vary wildly, mm -hmm. and 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 you know, planets that are primarily water planets that are based a lot on sulfur ones that mm -hmm. have much less iron or just you know wildly different combinations of, of materials yeah mm -hmm. i, I want to know too i want to i want to go in the way that osiris rex went to bennu get me a sample and beam back what you i mean it's going to be from far you know far beyond pluto i think by the time they would have to catch up to this thing but uh, yeah yeah yeah, yeah send and that's its own logistical challenge too sending something fast enough but still large enough to be able to transmit back and the infrastructure mm -hmm. for that mm -hmm. matt you, you good yeah i i thought i had my do not disturb on my computer clearly <laughs> clearly i did not sorry about oh, okay that. You, you had a worried face and i was just said it was like were we treading onto a topic but... well no because a, a call came to my computer and i was like what's happening here mm. i told it do not disturb on but clearly my technology is not as good as the stuff that we imagine and it did not uh activate the do not disturb <laughs> unbelievable um, um no i want to i want to derail the conversation into these ufo sightings that were just uh confirmed have you guys seen these things no ben have you seen this no that they were confirmed it's freaking wild so if you go uh, so rogan joe rogan posted the article to his instagram so that's just a good place to grab it from but basically i don't want to but, but where's the art where's the uh, article so from the, uh, so there's a ton of different uh, places covering it. So the Telegraph out of the UK uh, is um, uh, is the one that Joe posted, but hmm. uh, Fox and uh, a few other U.S. publications also uh, have uh, confirmed that these images of these. Tell me if this sounds like a TV show we all know. Pyramid-shaped spacecrafts are <laughs> being sighted and confirmed by the CIA that they are real photos, that they do not know what they are, that the photos are legit. I did just see that. So the guy, ooh. <laughs> but they, they swept, they came back and they were just like, nah, it's not worth it. <laughs> those fun, those are you, fun, ben, are you looking it up right those now? fun days of early Egypt are done. <laughs> mm. did we talk about that or matt did you send me that meme that was the six part one where it's humans conceive of ai humans perfect ai ai perfects itself ai rules humanity solar flare destroys ai humans worship sun god <laughs> And in my mind, the only conclusion I have is that The Matrix is a prequel <laughs> to everything. That's what we don't need, though, is nice. another Matrix uh, episode. Um, we, do, we don't. I agree. That's cool, though. So, so yeah. So, I mean, 
what do you guys think is is going to come in the CIA report that is due in a month? Uh, are you familiar with this, Ben? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I mean, I'm not. There has to be obviously not super familiar, but um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like this has been teased since 1947. Um, I just, yeah, I always wonder, like, what what's the advantage of sitting on this information? What has been the advantage for 70 years of sitting on the information, right? Mass, so, mass chaos or the anticipation of mass chaos. But then why release it at all? Why even tease it? Like, you know, what's the point? Because they... I'm, and I'm playing devil's advocate here because they yeah, couldn't yeah. hide it anymore or because, you know, even, even trying to bury, I mean, as much as I completely the U S government, if it really wanted to, could bury something pretty deep. Maybe if they tried to bury it, they felt that it would be that much more subs- suspicious or it just doesn't matter mm. that, or it doesn't matter that much. They, whatever the information they gleaned, they deemed is not still a, a, an issue to national security. So therefore it's also like how correct, you know, how real is the threat or not threat necessarily, but just, I, I also remain highly skeptical. I don't know necessarily yeah, why. Yeah. I, that's the thing is like, I, I'm all in, I'm two feet over the line. Take me to your leader at this point. <laughs> well, t- why don't you talk about that a little bit? What do you, what do you think is going to be in that? What's going to be revealed? I think that if you, if you look at the jumps in technology, from different eras, 1910s to 20s to 30s to 40s and on, the jump from the 10s, 10 to 20, and then the astronomical jump from, effectively from World War One to World War Two, the mm-hmm. jumps are not really, they don't make tons of sense. You can kind of, I guess, you know, say like, you know, transistors and propulsion just grew exponentially in those times. I'd say the war is themselves. Occam's razors, maybe maybe someone just gave us the technology. It's probably, you know, probably more simplistic. And, uh, you know. Yeah, it's simplistic, but I'm going to stop you there because I'm going to say, okay, how do you, how does then someone take vastly superior alien technology and incrementally apply it to increases of technology on Earth? I mean, you know, why not? then do we see a leap from the steam engine to fusion? But we did. The reason that we haven't seen the leaps that you're referring to is because of capitalism, not because of a lack of technology. People are trying to mine money out of the current technology rather than invest into future technology that might make them more money. They're trying to gouge as much as they can today. I don't think that has any bearing to the leap of technology. You're you're saying, you know, because you could make more efficient technologies, but they wouldn't be making this much money by the nature of being more efficient. Exactly. Which I mean, that is just the same reason why I, iPhones. You know, Apple is notorious for having three generations of iPhones ready at any time and slowly releasing mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. Right. That, that, that's just like the perfect. Uh, manifestation of that just on another but, level well how many so when are you saying that the secrets were revealed when did this whole timeline start 1910 uh, i think it's like june well well 
no, yes. no, no, no. I'm June seventeenth. Saying... <laughs> no, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> no, no, I'm saying uh, when the COVID relief bill was passed in December, uh, there's a provision put in there by a congressman that said that they had to declassify all UFO documentation by like June fifth this year. But here's the question: It's Is pretty that... amazing. Oh no, no, no! I, I meant the time. What you were saying then? My timeline. I was just saying that like. The, the type of warfare, right? You can, you're using World War One and World War Two as just moments in time. The mm-hmm. fundamental changes in warfare are so drastic for only a 20 year period. It's a little peculiar. Mm. That, 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 and again, there, there's no, there's no science to back it, but the type, you know, trench warfare versus aeronautical warfare and the way in which that it evolved that quickly without you know, smaller wars erupting with those technologies to almost refine a world war is just interesting. Well, I, I think but, I think it makes honestly, sense. Honestly, there was a yeah. Go ahead. No, you know, you go ahead. Sorry. Oh, yeah. you're ha- you're handing that off yeah. to me. Okay, yeah. sorry. That was important. <laughs> I didn't yeah. pick up on the cues. Sorry I you're that. not. You're probably not actually um, below me in the sequence. Of, no, no, I'm not. You're pointing uh, at Matt. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, I guess what I was going to say is that there is a pretty like that's one storyline in history that I feel is like a pretty pretty linear storyline. Like you look at like mid nineteenth century industrial revolution and look at sort of political theory that's going on at the time. Um it's sort of this the way that in that in industry was starting to push back against monarchies and things like that. And when you finally get to World War One, which that is the war that I think changed warfare, you know basically agreed from start from start horses to plane yeah exactly um not just the mechanization yet trenches sure but still the the idea of it's an it's an all-out um you know civilian population the whole shebang um and then what happened in the interwar period and how that all the sort of ideas around world war one and the mechanization it's you know world war ii was just sort of like there were airplanes in World War One, so it just World War Two. We had twenty years to kind of refine the technologies around that, but really, the the basic ingredients to World War Two were being played out in World War One, um, and there were some skirmishes. You know, the the Spanish Revolution, or yes, I don't know if it's a revolution or what. Yeah, the but Spanish the, 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 the Spanish Civil War. war. That, the Civil War, yeah, yeah. Um, was you know a, a lot of that was a crossover of. World War One techniques and world and what became World War Two sort of tactics and strategy, um, yeah. I, I I think that that I'm not surprised by that so much. I I am in awe of the fact that we as human beings are capable of that kind of a leap in history. That we that at the end of the 19th century and the beginning of the 20th century, there's this like complete like explosion of you know, psychoanalysis starts looking at people in different ways and our identities of who we are. Um, you know, relativity, you know, Einstein is is there and these sort of ideas of, of you know, what relativity is and sort of shaking up uh, Newtonian physics, um, just all of that stuff and how it every level of culture, of Western culture, um, was kind of kicking in this sort of weird way. Um yeah, it just, it's amazing that that's there. Um, 
I'm not ready to say that it was because of alien technology. No, I think it's because of the wars themselves. Just the the sure, the collective yeah. in the in the way that I think collective crises can focus effort. That mm-hmm. at those mm-hmm. times and in that time span where a lot of people lived between both of those wars, everything mm-hmm. is as you say that leveraged off of World War One into into World War Two. But a bit, but I mean, by the end of World War Two, we we made the definitive. I feel like World War Two ended with a definitive statement of and welcome to the atomic age. You know, everything about conventional yeah. warfare that had been fought in World War Two and the way that we fought it was instantly neutralized. Because if that war had continued with that weapon, how long would it have been until we used a, a nuclear weapon on an army? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and just you know we have. Ben, yeah. question for you. Have you been to Berlin? No. No, that would be great. Why why do you ask? So I'm looking for the um the documentary um on Netflix for you to watch as well, and I'll find the name in a moment mm-hmm. here. But I promise you, if you went to Berlin and went mm-hmm. to the uh aeronautical museum and mm-hmm. saw the way in which their planes evolved and then mm-hmm. watched this documentary on the technology of Nazi warfare, the mm. only thing that makes sense is aliens. <laughs> nah. <laughs> nah. <laughs> That's good. That's I will absolutely I would love to go to Berlin. And I'll watch the documentary, but that was a good setup for a great punchline. How how could they have walked? How could they have walked with alien technology? That is BS. No, no way you lose. What do you mean? How does how does the side with access to say that? Whoa, 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 whoa! Wait, wait, John, John. Who's to say the aliens wanted them to win? So why would you make that assumption? So the aliens give them superior technology, so they think that they can win a war. So they attack Russia foolhardily. And then get their ass. I'm just, I'm just saying that I don't know one way or the other. I'm just saying that the assumption that they would be given technology to secure a win, I think it, there's, you're, you're doing, you're doing a lot of work for them. Well, well, you know what this makes me think of is a lot of great science fiction in alternative history stuff that's out there, including Captain America. Um, and so oh, it's not alien technology, best. right? It's not alien but it technology. It is German. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's a storyline. <laughs> but that's a storyline. The Super Soldier that... Serum is German. Yes, and the Tesseract. Yeah. yeah, and the Tesseract is not. <laughs> No, no, but the scientist who created it, literally, you just made my point, John, by saying that. It is literally alien technology mixed with German ingenuity. That is the super soldier serum. You it just is, made it's my the alien point for me. <laughs> and, and, um, and just to close the book on the other part, uh, Ben, before we go on, it's yeah. uh, Nazi Mega Weapons. Is the name of the documentary? Oh, okay, okay. Oh, it is wild. You... you watch a documentary, <laughs> and literally, you're just like, because they like they like show the weapon, they show like concept, 
and then uh-huh. final weapon. You're like, there's no bleeping way that you just figured that out it's in a, three years. It's the Goblin Bomber. Yeah. Like, it's the, it's the it's, super weapon that they have in Iron Sky that comes up from the moon. They power with the iPhone. <laughs> Oh, I love it. It um, is amazing, right, so, so though. I mean, super so- wait, wait, before we do, before we do, I just no. want to like close the loop on yeah, this yeah, one yeah. thing as far as like capitalism and all that kind of stuff. So, um, I think that, so in the capitalistic side, I do think that post war, there were everybody was trying to do something new. And I don't think we had the same sort of like stagnation in technology that you were talking about, Matt, at, you know, in the, let's say 10 or 20 years after world war two because everybody you know was all brand new we wanted to do new things and keep pushing the envelope when those things started to pay off is when i think things slowed down a little bit because i think you're right that there's a certain aspect of of economics that says you know don't don't keep pushing for new if people keep buying the old um but also you know the astonishing amount of time between um uh developments you know we've talked a lot about apollo 11 um and again like mystified that you know really that program started in around 1961 and within you know by 1969 we were on the moon almost whole cloth and you know you kind of look back on um like let's say the atomic weapons the manhattan project you know for me has the first sort of controlled fission reaction in 1942 in the winter of 42 and by what two and a half three years august later, of 45 it's not controlled yeah august of 45 we're weaponizing yeah. it so there's i think that that is because you had this both apollo and the manhattan project you had a huge amount of state capital being poured into this thing and it's like Let's get everybody's everybody's on board here. Let's get this thing going. We've got to do this. It's a big I couldn't party. agree more. So, and then you go to the moon, and you find Optimus, and you stop moon missions. Yeah, uh, I get it. Oh, oh. But but actually, but also to that point too, I think that that technology. I think that. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, it's good. It's good. I was gonna say throwing bombs. That's what you're all about. But no, to that point, I feel that that technological progression carried itself through for another decade too. Because think about. You have 1969, land on the moon with an Apollo. 1979, you have the shuttle, mm-hmm. which is a complete – I mean, I yeah. think that, that in terms of capability of the type of craft that it is, that was still uh, – it still kind of boggles my mind to think that the shuttle was existing as far back as the late 70s. And then I think we hit a type sure. of plateau there because that progression, yeah. I feel like another 10 yeah. years after that, by the time we got to the, the – turn of the millennium we should have been and i don't know if we should have been on mars but we should have been establishing a lunar base by then but that was isn't that part of the premise of for all mankind a little bit too is right yeah. so it's you know it's, it's, a, it's, it's but, and I, I think it i've talked about this before there yeah but i mean you know i've talked to i i have good relationships with a lot of engineers who worked on apollo and shuttle and as much as they were happy to work on shuttle and it was great, it was also a big bummer because they had all of that stuff on the drawing board ready to go to continue Apollo way past, you know, 1972. No, and, there was a decision. Um, and all of that stuff was, yeah, there's a decision made almost six months after we land after Apollo 11 to say, eh, we did this. Now we're going to cut the funding for the program and switch it all to, to shuttle. 
and it was as much a political decision. I believe it was Nixon's else. decision, and that's where I lay, oh, that's yeah. where I lay yeah, a lot totally. of blame. Yeah, because even even in for all mankind, Matt, you see that in the part where von Braun is explaining what their next phase past the Saturn V was these yep. mega carrier rockets that could do essentially like the mm-hmm. SLS now, you know, be able to carry mm-hmm. a, a Mars insertion craft. And this is, this is 50 mm-hmm. years ago. I know I, it's, mm-hmm. but the, that, then that does loop back. You know, okay. At that time, NASA was spending about 5% of the GDP. We also know from that time that there were, there mm-hmm. was treme- as much as there was tremendous public support, there was also tremendous public um, yeah, oh, yeah. Was, the public lost well, interest, lost interest as well as it was the nature of you know how do we justify spending this much money on this um yeah. but you know you get to this point now but that's also what we were talking about last time john where i said public opinion should not drive exploration agreed you know public opinion didn't drive columbus sailing the ocean nobody even knew he left right it was just mm-hmm. like effectively the but it was a shot in the dark it was okay we right. financed this mission we basically write off all these these three ships and these people is lost on the off chance they find something we get first claim at new land that no one else has touched which is i mean yes you take you can extract you can take that metaphor and directly extrapolate into space <laughs> but but also you know the Prince, uh, Prince, you know, King Ferdinand wasn't beholden really to anybody or to many people. So it, it didn't matter if people knew or didn't know. It was like, hey, this is what I'm going to spend my money on kind of a thing. You know, in late 60s, early 70s, the U.S., it, it, mad, it, you know, it matters who's going to get elected in four years and what public opinion is about how we're spending money. And or, you know, if you're if you're the guy coming in and you inherit the Apollo program, and you not only do you get to be the guy in charge to make the phone call on the moon and all that stuff, even though you didn't really do anything in the previous eight years, um, then you want to put your stamp on a new program and say, "Hey, we're going to change gears. This is my administration. I'm going to we're going to do reusable spacecraft." Uh, and, and I, I, that stuff. I hate that because I wish that uh, one continuity. And even in that respect, I I would say even right now, I would rather wish that Biden does not dismantle at all anything that Trump set up as much as, and that's not to give mm. Trump a political win. I don't give a crap who, which president was the one, but now, you know, now that we're here and we're still, yeah. we're still moving towards it. And we need, I wish that NASA was a public, it was more of an independent entity in the way that the EPA theoretically should be. Um, and, and that it was capable yeah. of making its own decisions that weren't really didn't have anything to do with the president. And on top mm-hmm. of that, uh, you know, I wonder if we move toward, you know, right now we have government governments of large nations generally are the ones that are capable of launch capability all the way up to your spacecraft. And you have, well, we have an, anar- we have an anarchist society from a world point of view. <laughs> yeah. It is. It's an it's an anarchist government structure. Yeah, in the sense that there is no true. The UN doesn't hold doesn't wield true power. Exactly. Exactly. No. Yeah. I I, I agree. Exactly. Because if the UN did hold the true power, there'd be a collective space program that would actually well, share here, resources and actually create some sort hmm. of tangible 
impact on the space program. Let, let's let's throw this theoretical instance. Let's say NASA was somehow the entity and its resources broke away from the U.S. government or became a private entity that then fused with SpaceX and Blue Origin. So like, the isn't that I mean, isn't that it already? Like. Like, sorry to interrupt, John, but isn't that kind of what SpaceX is? Is it's trying to be? Well, it's trying to be NASA without being connected to the government. Although the they still team. get most of their budget oh, from yeah. the government. Defend, no, defend, um, and now but, but that is the that is the. But that's the that's the yeah. loophole, right? Is that you yeah. know SpaceX has the capability of NASA, which Lockheed and Boeing don't, without the red tape. No, no offense to you, John, but you correct. don't have the same capabilities that yeah. SpaceX has, right? Yeah. And did you see, to that point, Ben, did you see what happened, uh, what got awarded today? The moon mission was just awarded to SpaceX today. Yeah, that's ridiculous. That's totally nuts. Mm -hmm. um, right. So, and, so, I so mean, I think it's in a good point, way, ben, but I think still. you're 100% right. Yeah, yeah and I, yeah, uh, I, I, it's... Yeah, it's amazing what's going on in that sense. Uh, I, I, before we close out this, because I know you want to go to the next topic uh just need to oh, acknowledge yeah. <laughs> that we're recording this a few days at the end of the week that began with the 40th anniversary of the first launch of the columbia space shuttle which was the first space shuttle launch um so speaking of shuttle we are 40 years out from the that launch um and of course the space center which is on the site where those shuttles were designed and built we did a little thing about it uh, earlier in the week that's that wasn't a plug. That's that was just so a history cool. lesson. And wait, wait. Also, no, but I do. But, but oh, it made me think. Wow. To plug, are you allowed to hold on John. a sec, John? Calm yourself. Uh, ben, are you allowed to say who the guests are that you have for the upcoming? Or did it happen yet? Uh, the what well, we talked about off air with a certain prolific scientist and a certain. Uh, basketball yes. player. Yeah, yeah, that that Can already we happened. Talk about it. Yeah, yeah, sure. That is already it, happened. It, and it, if you want to watch it, the footage, it's on our website. So, so for everyone listening, and then we'll jump into Super Soldiers. Ben moderated a uh, Bill Nye, the Science Guy, and Kareem Abdul Jabbar yep. science conversation for the Space Center, which mm -hmm. is the coolest thing ever, <laughs> bridging that gap. So, if you want to listen to that. Um, please uh, go to the Space Center's website, Columbia Space Center, California. I don't know. What's the actual URL, Ben? ColumbiaSpaceScience.org. And, um, and if you go to city, actually, the, the easiest way to get there, because it's part of our City of STEM program, uh, this is a program that we started a few years ago that basically celebrates all of the STEM of Southern California for a month. Um, so CityofSTEM.org, you can go there and check that out. Also, though, it was recorded as part part of Bill Nye's podcast, Science Rules, and he's actually going to post a longer, I think it's a 45-minute uh, version of the conversation, so you can go to either one. But That's it's cool. The, it was really, that really is cool. a plug, and it's a cool plug, and you should definitely uh, go <laughs> listen and watch that. <laughs> <laughs>